0: WWDC predictions, I predict that Apple will say, and we fixed the damn audio problem in macOS 10. <laughs> oh my god, oh, it's wish. so buggy in Cafe in, uh, in Capitan. Yeah.
1: Hey, everybody, welcome to episode 95 of the Morton Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitra, and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by my co-host Aaron Bay in Whitby, Ontario. Hi there. And we also have Jaime Lopez down in San Jose, California. No. No, what? I'm in Seattle, Washington. <laughs> no, wait, wait, But wait, wait, close wait. enough. West Coast is the
0: best coast, and it, it seems all the same to you East Coasters. I see how that okay. is.
1: Okay. <laughs> and we also have Jaime Lopez in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And he travels awfully fast. And we also have Mark <laughs> Ruben down in San Jose, California. Hello.
2: Sometimes. All righty. So this is the show now. This is the show. This is it. No. On with the show. Already. This is it. Oh, is that is that a Muppets reference?
1: Oh, for sure. And hit the lights. This yes. is it. The night of nights. It's oh, uh, Bugs Bunny
2: and somebody Daffy Duck, I guess. That would be Looney Tunes. hmm Ah, yes. Saturday I morning cartoons. That. I thought that was the Muppets for a minute. There, I always right? thought it was
1: Oh, for sure. And hit the
2: lights. <laughs> yeah. no i can't remember it's overture no it's and definitely headlights. overture yeah. yeah good well long we got that one covered um
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean did you see that question the one guy left i don't know have you been looking at the ask, ask mtjc stuff
0: i have and uh i'm going to have to take a quick look at it right now because we, okay. did, we actually got quite a bit
1: yeah we did we did and it's in farley uh and uh i and and um aaron in fact um talked a bit about after apple pay which is good because he sort of gave us some inside scoop right Uh, so so
0: the one that farley had was about like the weirdo credit card number that you see and 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 i see that as well i mean it's like the last four digits but it um yeah at least my experience tends to match up on my receipt so you know one uh two three four i'm like yeah that's exactly what the watch shows which is my primary method of using apple pay right so i go to you know, like Whole Foods or something, and, and get the receipt. I'm like, oh, okay, that matches
1: up. Right. Yeah, I think Aaron, I was following up on what Aaron had said about when he went to add one of his cards. The the I like guess the barcode scanner reader class, whatever Apple uses there, didn't match the numbers. Like when I've scanned my cards, it matches up numbers with with what's there. Like it's kind of like when you I don't know if you guys are ever redeem those um, iTunes gift cards or stuff like that, and it scans the number and kind of displays it in that glowing type on the over top of the image. Right. That's,
2: that's what you're talking about, Aaron, right? It was indeed. And so Farley is responding back with a screenshot from what appears to be an FAQ on the Royal Bank site, I guess, because that's okay. where he works. Mm-hmm. It just says that uh, you will see that if the uh, provider is using a virtual number for the debit card in question. Oh, I see. Right. It's a token virtual number to represent your, your card without using the actual number. And you know that's the principle behind Apple Pay in this in the first place, right? Yeah. It does not use your actual account numbers. It creates a per transaction number. Guess oh, for each individual transaction. I think it's for every transaction. Yeah. Yeah. See, I had thought there
1: was a, t- a hidden token, like to represent the to identify the card, right? And and the relationship with the bank and the relationship with you. And I just thought that was sort of a hidden value that uh, wasn't really going to get exposed, right?
2: yeah i I'm not hundred percent on that one, but i my understanding is that it is a per transaction token created hmm. that somehow ties back to your card so it knows it's you. but if uh an intermediary got hold of that number, they couldn't do much with it right, right. yes, of course, yes, yes. I had another question from Yono Mitfeld at YonoMit on Twitter asking if we have any advice for an experienced developer. Just getting into freelancing, in particular, tips on finding clients. Hashtag Ask MTJC. <laughs> so um, that's a tough one because uh, the answer really is get to know people. Yeah. From my mind. Uh, this is how I sort of started, too, because, uh, you know, there was a, day, a time when I worked for the man full time. I was a, an employee of Hewlett Packard. Now split three times, three ways. Who even knows what they are anymore? They're more machine than man. And I've left the company in 2006 and found myself on my own. I had a friend who worked for a well-known shoemaker, and he offered me some work uh, building their website. So that's how I kind of got started as a freelancer. And over time, with that one sort of anchor tenant, if you will, to invoke mall parlance, I was able to build the rest of my business by... Talking to people, uh, getting put in touch with others, and it's just a long process, and it really does depend on how outgoing you are, so you can imagine why that would have been very difficult for me if you know me at all. So it was a very long process of finding people and you know building that business to the point where I could be self-sustaining. But with that anchor tenant, <laughs> it was a lot more feasible.
1: Yeah, it's pretty, pretty much true same with me i mean i don't necessarily think i wanted to get into freelancing per se or, or even contract work per se but uh, yeah it was two web projects that sort of got me going initially right um and and then that you know uh, that was back in 2005 2004 and then a, and that those lasted for a couple of years and that got me going and then you know other people found out about me and and the word of mouth really As Aaron said, um, got me out there, and then, uh, then when the Apple, sorry, when the iPhone came along, and the iPad in particular, that's when I switched over to iOS because one of my clients, who was it was like a third, third, third client in that sort of run of clients, uh, wanted really wanted to get on the iPad, so that was for me the impetus to even get into iOS development, right? So, but I think it's tough. It's you know, it's if you if you're thinking you're going to quit your job tomorrow and start a business today,
2: you know, it's it's. It's a tough start, right? It is. The the thing that I keep thinking about though is about my dad and he's a building contractor and has been doing it for about 40 years <laughs> and uh so and it's not actually that dissimilar from what I do in terms of the approach to making money basically be because what you're doing at the core of it is convincing people that you can do what they want in exchange for money, right? Uh, and so over the years, you know, and growing up in in the house with him and seeing his business sort of unroll firsthand, he's had good years and bad years. But the one thing, he's also much more outgoing than I am. Um, but the one thing that you can say is that it always works out somehow, you know? Once you set yourself on that path and decide that you're going to make your living doing this, it seems that the doors that you need open, you know, uh, you know, through just the course of your constantly putting yourself out there, the phone does ring, you know, the emails do arrive, and you do get those opportunities to, to prove yourself. And you do it long enough, and you almost make it, it's, it's sort of an effortless part of, of your day. It just happens and i can't count you know count the number of times i've i've sort of thought to myself over the years you know as i've been doing this that it's amazing that you know people get just they just get put in touch with you because you've done all this sort of background work of always going out there and putting yourself out there and and doing work and then taking credit for it of course which is the most important thing so there's a portfolio for, for you out there and one of the other things I learned from one
1: of the coaching programs I belonged to was that uh, yeah, you do have to get out there. You make a list of uh, people who, and you, like sort of like a, a they call it a farm club, um, where you have a list of people that you're going to go and contact over the next say three months, um, who may or may not be interested in your work, and you go and have conversations with them. And uh, I think eventually the word does get out because, like Aaron said, you, you kind of sort of need one or two people to anchor you in that whole pursuit, right? So. Right. And 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 be prepared. Be prepared. Like you know, don't don't get the money and spend it right away. Don't forget you have to pay taxes and and uh, it's just tough running a business. And you have to you know you have to sh- sort of sock some money away because there are going to be times when when you're looking for work and you just don't have it. Right? Yeah.
2: I mean, there's all kinds of business tips that we could throw out now because you know just just staying in business means that you need a nest egg because there's a, a lot of fluctuations in the business. Some days it's just raining money. In other days, it's very dry. That's a great question, uh, and it's and it is just not an easy answer. At the end of the day, uh, I'm looking through the other uh, Ask MTJC hashtag tweets here, and um, Ryan Arana has asked about WWDC predictions. I, I I would propose putting that off to the main part of the show, where I suspect sure. we'll be talking about that anyway. Um, Jeremiah Jessel uh, at JCube asks about Android training courses boot camps Mm -hmm. on the west coast i believe he lives in la he's an angels of anaheim fan uh which is odd but i'll you know let him go (laughs) and uh he'd like to know if there are any boot camps that are suitable out there and mark perhaps have you heard of anything
3: uh in terms of android i i really have no idea Uh, no idea i don't don't follow that uh, very closely but but i'm sure there are
1: I would say, I think the Big Nerd Ranch had a school in California, so I would check the Big Nerd Ranch website. They have a good yeah. course. In fact, they, if you their uh, style is you go to Atlanta or wherever the wherever the, um, the campus is, and you spend five days intensively doing nothing but the, the subject that you're going to learn. So they do an iOS one, they do an Objective-C one, they do a Swift one. Um, I'm not sure if they do the Objective-C one anymore, but... The, but they definitely just do android ones and they have an advanced android as well so check out the big nerd ranch for that kind of stuff that's big dot com.
0: yeah that's apparently done at the uh, big nerd ranch Wests, and that's at the asilomar conference center which they claim is a little more than an hour from the san jose airport yeah that's cool so yeah. it'd
3: be a little drive from la what's the name of that conference center say it again
0: asilomar a-s-i-l-o-m-a-r mm-hmm i I don't know how that's
1: pronounced. Never heard of it. I mean, lessons in California geography with Mark R- R- Rubin.
3: Yeah.
2: Monterey County, California.
3: Oh, Monterey, yeah, yeah. Monterey's a real nice area. It's uh, it's on the coast. Uh, it's uh, it is about an hour or so south, actually a little bit southwest of of San Jose. Uh, so it's not really part of Silicon Valley. It's definitely a separate separate place. But it's a real nice place to go and and spend a few days. Picture sure looks
2: nice. Yep. Damn. Yeah, I mean, while I was learning to develop, teaching myself, I had a lot of, because like, I actually had uh, some of Aaron Hillgass's books. Uh, in fact, my first one of his was um, programming, um, OS ten programming, I don't know, Cocoa programming with OS ten, that's it, <laughs> something like that. Anywho, uh, so I'm well familiar with his courses, and I wanted so badly to go to his, his boot camps Uh, to learn from the master, you know, but there was just no way I could do it in in terms of uh, affording it. So hopefully Jeremiah has a better way than I do and gets in his car or maybe gets his employer to pay for it and gets up to Monterey County.
3: Yeah. So one of, one of our listeners uh, wrote in regarding the talk we had last time about singletons versus other approaches and uh, brought up a really, really good point that the state of the of the singleton uh, may not be thread safe, even if the singleton itself is. So, if the singleton is is owning objects that uh, are non atomic, so basically any kind of Objective C type objects, then if you're talking to the singleton from multiple threads, then you really have to worry about the fact that uh, the threads might be competing for that same resource and if you're not careful, then you can have conflicts there. So it, absolutely great point. Uh, so even though there's sort of some standard approaches for making sure the Singleton itself is thread-safe by using a dispatch once, you also have to care about the objects that the Singleton owns and take special effort to make sure that those are thread-safe as well. Uh, now, uh, my approach to that, a couple of different approaches. One One approach, my sort of main approach is just sort of don't do that uh, whenever possible. Uh, keeping state in a single tin is a little bit dicey in itself, which is one of the reasons that people don't like it. Uh, so what I usually use them for, if I have to store state, it's it's external state. So the, the state of uh, an external network connection or something like that, or, or an authentication status. So that's something that tends to be written by one place in the app. Uh, and and not multiple places, although it can be accessed by multiple places in the app. And then on top of that, uh, I I usually will have the access, you know, the read-only access by the rest of the app be, in terms of very simple variables, uh, either a Boolean or an enumerated integer or something like that, things that you can can be pretty sure are are, are okay, uh, even if there are different threads writing it. Uh, And if you do need to handle something that's non-atomic, then just dispatch to the main thread before you ever write it, you know, make a copy of your object, do whatever work you need to do on it, and then do a dispatch to the main thread with GCD, and then update your, your actual real objects there. And then you should be, should be pretty safe, but great point. And uh, we appreciate the feedback. Cool. A couple more uh,
0: bits of feedback that we got from hashtag AskMTJC. Uh, One is from Justin Stanley, uh, who we've seen before, a friend of the show, saying, like, what changes to Xcode do you want to see in Xcode 8? Um, Refactor button.
1: For Swift. we covered that one.
0: Yeah, yeah, that that one and the the predictions is slightly funny because we did kind of touch that topic. Um, If it wasn't last episode, it was the episode prior to that where we said hey what predictions do you have based on the technologies that apple has now what do we think is going to happen like you know instant apps for ios uh, siri api type stuff so there's some bits of that and uh, the other one i see here on twitter is uh, from jeremiah jessel again uh, with the uh, angels of anaheim t-shirt um will mark Rubin ever get a personal twitter
3: account (laughs) that's (laughs) the best one (laughs) I actually do have one, but I uh, haven't used that. I, I've used that one even less recent than I've used my SmapSoft uh, Twitter account, actually. So, uh, But if you can find my personal one, maybe we'll give you a shout out on the show or something like that.
2: So <laughs> <laughs> you got to make a lucky guess is what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it's the, bo- the bottom
1: line is if you want to tweet to Mark at, the, at SmapSoft, he will, he will read it. He just won't respond.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, so. I, I may not even read it because uh, the, uh, there's a there's a lot of uh, junk that comes through that account. So not that anything that you guys are sending is junk, but I mean, I get a lot of spam on that account. So so I, I miss a lot of things, which is one of the reasons I don't use it that much.
2: Twitter, run amok. Yep. Yeah. Start start guessing at
0: random ones like, you know, X marks the spot, oh, Dr. Good Rubin, one. <laughs> Batman and Rubin. Um, oh, man. <laughs> just put yourself in Mark's head, try to figure out what, what that might be.
1: Hmm. Um, mm-hmm.
0: The other one, the last one I just noticed here, uh, also from Jeremiah Jessup, was: Have you heard of the Mobile Beat Conference by Venture Beat? I have heard of it, and uh, me personally here, uh, is it worth attending? I have no idea because I've never personally attended. Does well, anybody here yeah. know?
2: Yeah. No, I've never been to that one. Yeah. How, there's so many conferences. It's peculiar to ask about that one in particular. It's wonder,
0: a, it's yeah. sizable enough, but I don't know the crowd. I don't know if it's sort of more press heavy. Um, or if it's more tech heavy, uh, I really don't know if somebody out there knows, reach out to us and let us know how it is. Fair enough.
2: Cool. Hey, something big happened in the app store today as we record on the 8th of June. Did you guys see this? I feel like the whole internet has seen it now, but I think we should talk about it nonetheless. This is related to the Daring Fireball article? Well, it's more related to what Apple announced and that John reported uh, on his website, DaringFireball.net. This is, of course, uh, a thing that happened today. I think it was today, at least. I got the idea that it was. Phil Schiller had a call sheet, and he went through it and called a bunch of Mac journalists Apple journalists, I guess is the more appropriate term, and gave them the lowdown on what's new on the App Store. And before WWDC happens next week, there is a set of changes that Apple is instituting right away. Almost, I think most of them are starting as of next week. And just to give you the rundown, there are sort of three big areas that Apple is changing here. The first is one we've already seen, actually. So not only are they implementing it soon, they've already implemented it. Review times, much shorter than they used to be. We've talked about this before already. Uh, half They say half of the reviews are being done in the first 24 hours, and the other 90% are being done within 48 hours. And every f- bit of feedback we've gotten from various sources uh, holds that up. It's definitely happening and it's, it's legit. They've changed process. They've done things to make that happen. That was conscious, not a fluke. The other thing is changes to the pricing model. Now Apple is going to offer subscription-based pricing for all apps. And I got a, I hasten to put an asterisk after that because it appears that there may be some, uh, Limitations to that, we're not entirely sure at this point. But the language that I'm seeing suggests that pretty much any app can offer subscription-based pricing. And for those that are offering uh, non-recurring, or sorry, recurring subscriptions, recurring subscriptions, those are the ones that you just kind of pay monthly forever. uh, Those types of apps are now able to offer free trials, uh, owing to the mechanism of how the uh, recurring uh, recurring subscription works. Nice, yeah. Um, so that's also very interesting and I think we'll probably end up talking about that more than anything else. Uh, but just to round it out, the final, uh, area of change is relating to app discovery on the store. Uh, Apple's going to, uh, have a, a feature tab. They're going to put back categories and they're going to have paid search ads. Ooh. Yeah. Um, we can probably talk about that one too. Um, so that's it. I mean, the, this is kind of a, a major change it's it's also a very different approach for apple in terms of announcing changes to the app store especially peculiar given that it's ahead of wwdc the keynote's going to be on monday so we're looking at you know in five days uh you know all of them are going to get up on the stage and announce some major new policies and so many in fact that they didn't have time for what was just announced today <laughs> so think about that that's Uh, pretty significant and maybe a little scary i'm i'm really hopeful given the scale of what has been announced today that we are looking at some pretty important announcements coming on monday so let's let's start from the top and go to well not the top but the most important part let's talk about subscription-based pricing yeah yeah (laughs) so let's go around the table tim what do you think
1: well, as I, th- I think I mentioned before on the show, one of one of the apps we designed was originally meant to be subscription based, and Apple rejected it, and we had to go back and refactor the whole app process, and, and we went to sort of a flat rate fee for the year kind of thing. Um, but this is, I think, this is good because, it, 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 as much as you know, I've said before on the show before, I'm not a huge fan of subscription based anything, whether it's you know hulu or or hbo or what have you because it you just, mean as a it, customer yeah if because you, yeah. you know if you don't use it you kind of i always feel if i don't use something i i you know i i you know i, I don't really like it i mean i had i've had a linda subscription for years and you know it's 25 dollars a month but when i look back on it you know i, I usually did go in and spend some time and can get some value out of that but um but this is good because and I think you know it's kind of Adobe started this ball rolling with the CS Studio access, you know, uh, CS Cloud they call it where you pay a smaller price to over the over the over the 3 years that most people have an app you will have spent as much as you would have bought a retail box for. And I think we've talked about um apps like um Cinemagraph Pro that went to a subscription based model. Uh, because the reality is as developers we need a recurring income and that's what subscription-based pricing does for us it even if it's a buck a a buck a month or whatever you know over a year with enough users regularly using your app you could you could end up having i don't know if it's going to be a a super income but at least a decent income one of the biggest problems about especially when you have a large app is every time you do uh, updates to it it takes a lot of effort to to do big giant uh, updates and and that effort translates into dollars and cents because you got to you know feed yourself and while you're building these things. So, I think subscription-based pricing for apps, uh, other than what traditionally was for people serving up news or video or whatever, um, I think it's a good good thing for development overall. Right? Yeah, Jaime, what do you think? So I do think it's a, a good
0: thing. Uh, worth pointing out, it's not like a silver bullet. This doesn't dramatically change people's ability or willingness in some cases to pay for stuff, right? Like people who weren't going to pay for your product are still not going to pay for your product. Uh, but this gives you more flexibility with the people who do. And I haven't read into the docs myself because, uh, you know, it's just a busy day. So I just am kind of going off of like some of the highlights that I heard, but I was under the impression that you could do something akin to a free trial by having like a zero, a $0 a zero dollars first month, and then changing the pricing after that right is that is that true like because that, that actually would be you know pretty nice to have people you know not worry about like well I don't really want to subscribe to this app and throw down you know a dollar to five dollars that first month without knowing it's basically like buying the thing outright so people can get kind of more into your app and say oh yeah no I really do kind of like it and I'm going to continue with it. But you can sort of hack around that before with uh, some of the in app purchase type stuff, but this sort of makes it more of a first class citizen for other
2: bits, and hopefully reduces the chances of Apple like rejecting your app. Absolutely. Uh, as for whether this is available to any app using the subscription model, I th- I just read something today, and and you know I didn't have as much time to review it as you know as maybe other people did, but it seemed to me that it was tied to the re- the existing recurring subscription in-app purchase thing, but I could easily have missed out on that. I mean, this has all happened today. So we're, we're just reacting very quickly to it. Um, but, uh, that's what I thought. Now, if it makes sense though, you know, the way you put it, Jaime, if, if, you can have a price set for just the first month or just the first subscription cycle, whatever that is, because there does appear to be a great deal of flexibility here. You can offer a ton of different prices. They can be for different periods of time. You can change the pricing over time. You can charge different prices to new users versus existing users. Um, and so on and so on. So it seems like Apple's done a lot of hard thinking about this problem. Um, and more to the point, um, have any of you guys ever implemented like non-recurring or recurring subscriptions in in an iOS app, like as an in-app purchase? Like I said, we tried. But yeah, we you were, tried. But yeah, we were rejected. Right. Okay. So, yeah. Um, do you remember how friggin' hard it is? Yes. It's, like it was crazy hard. Yeah. Like yep. it's 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 an it's a nasty, brutish problem to deal with in in iOS using uh, StoreKit. Um, and so my thinking here, and I'm not 100% sure of this, and maybe maybe someone here can uh, you know confirm or deny it. I think that the subscription pricing, the way it's implemented, is is in the App Store or or in iTunes Connect, more that's, accurately.
1: That's, well, that that was that is true. I don't know if they're
2: going to retool that area or not. Yeah. Um, so to implement subscription pricing, you do not have to be like a top flight app developer <laughs> and implementing this all these methods in store right um in fact it's just like flipping switches in itunes connect and i'll tell you that alone <laughs> oh baby come yeah. at me I well, love I'm, just, it. I'm
1: looking <laughs> at the D- daring fireball article and, and i think I, m- I mentioned last week that you know my hope was that with phil running the show they would re would reevaluate re- uh our position as developers and in the creation of apps and the maintaining of apps, and he does say right at the top there that it's in recognition that developers doing most of the work, and that's I think that's what the the complaint about most developers has been over the years is that it's tough to sort of rationalize. How, I mean, I think it was Marco actually who did a, did a, a talk or did a piece on uh, why it's difficult to maintain an app over time, and and uh, because because of the the effort it goes into it, right? And and if you if if we're in the old model where you pay for an app once and then forever
2: you get free updates it's crazy right so yeah that makes no sense the business doesn't make no sense and just just to go back on what you said there tim about uh, phil schiller talking about the developers doing most of the work um, the the specific point he was making there is something that we haven't mentioned yet in the second year of subscription payments apple changes the ratio of what the developer earns from that subscription fee from seventy thirty, as it is today, to eighty five fifteen. Oh snap. Oh snap. Yeah. So this is the first sign of movement that I've ever heard of from Apple on this famous thirty percent cut that they've always taken. For subscription payments that you get after year one, that goes to a fifteen percent cut and you get to keep eighty five percent. And that's why it Schiller said, it's in recognition that the developer is doing most of the work in an app that a user has used for more than a year right by that time apple's made their money you know they did their work in getting you that customer you know by their lights and um now you are the one that's kept them by being as good as you have been in order to keep them on for a year right well that's true and i can talk personally about you
1: know like my my one app device tracker and actually all of my apps um you know, as you know, I started out in, in uh, um, iOS 3, you know, so, and then, you know, 4 came along and 5 and 6 and 7. And, you know, new features came along. And last year I spent, you know, six months refactoring device tracker to use storyboards so that I could take, so I could give people access to multitasking and, and size classes, right? And that was quite a bit of effort for which, you know, I've still get, I'm still only making $20 a month of, on new purchases or new, new app purchases. But, you know and I want to add things like barcode scanning and things like that that people have asked for me over the years and it's just it's tough to find the time if there's no reward for that right and that's right this is great. I like this I think it's one of the things we've always talked about with Apple or it gets talked about on podcasts and in articles is that that thirty percent that they keep right because um, that's supposed to, it was supposed theoretically supposed to be for marketing and all that kind of stuff if you go back to the original talk where Steve announced it um but the reality is is that you know and thankfully hopefully phil is fixing this stuff um you know it's been tough to initially it was easy to get you know traction and find have people find your app on the store but as you know millions and millions and millions of other apps have showed up it's you're like i said before we you're like lost like a snowflake in a blizzard you know or tears and rain which is another one of my favorite expressions but um so this is great. I think I think this is uh, good that Apple's um, putting putting more in the hands of the developer to keep us keep us interested in, in supporting
2: our apps. So we end up with less zombie apps on the on the App Store, right? This is movement on the Abandoned App Store. wear, yes. Yep. We haven't seen. You know, I don't even know if the change is good or not. But I'll tell you, the change at all is very good. So I I'm really looking forward to seeing what this does in the long run. I'm um, really
3: curious about how they're going to handle. Old apps, and will we be able to take an app that was originally paid you know pay to play you know you pay it pay once and and use it forever? Will we be able to convert that over into a subscription model?
1: Yeah, you talk about the existing people who have existingly own your app, right? That's like, right. Yeah. yeah. So
3: I have some apps that people originally bought for two bucks now six years ago, and and uh, up to now I've had zero possibility of getting any more income out of or any more re- revenue out of the, that user. For that app, uh, will I be allowed? I wonder to turn on a subscription for that app. And now, someone who's been using it for the past six years, well, they'll have to make that decision. I guess uh, as will I if I want to do this. Uh, but they'll have to decide whether they want to continue using the app, and if so, pay for it. So that that'll be an interesting thing. I also wonder uh, along those lines if I do have a customer that's many many years uh old or, or rather has been a customer for many years do i instantly get the 15% instead of the 30% yeah. on, on new things i, I, I wonder, wonder about, about that uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 uh. so we will see but but overall i'm pretty excited because i think this as someone mentioned this is a chance to revisit some old apps that just uh for you know financial reasons wasn't worth the 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 resources that would be needed to put into it to to update it uh and and maybe will be now
2: that's the hope i think
1: yeah i wonder too if this is also uh, something to to replace the loss of iads because i mean iads have been poor performers in terms of getting a re- recurring revenue in, in say in free apps for instance right um i mean i had i think i have one app right now that has iads in it in which i got to the end of the month to fix that up right but uh
3: Actually, if you don't, if you do nothing, it'll just leave a blank space where the iAds banner was. As long as you, well, as long as you built it right the first time where the banner disappears, if there's no ad available.
2: Right, right. I like it. I like it Mm. a lot. And I think, I think one of the things that we're going to find out though, and there's ups, ups and downs for this, of course, because there's going to be this sense of subscription fatigue, right? A lot of people talk about it, but. As more and more apps become available as subscription only, right? They are going to find that customers may be unwilling to pay that. Or or no matter what the actual dollar value is, the thought of having another like subscription that they are paying for and it's every month it comes out or every two weeks or every two months or whatever it is, um, people might get tired of that. And I guess oh, sure. more... Yeah. I think I think them. we'll
3: see I think we'll see people having a lot fewer apps on their phone. Uh this whole right, right, thing right. about just the endless, you know, hundreds and hundreds of apps that they haven't touched in in years but just have never gotten around to deleting them from the phone. That that will presumably well it, it, it that may go away. It, it, it I guess it depends on on how a subscription running out is is managed. I mean, will it will it instantly magically de- be deleted from your phone once it subscribes or i, I would kind of doubt that there will probably be yeah, would some kind of it'll still stay there when you tap it you'll just get a pop-up message of some sort saying do you want to keep using this for however much it costs yeah uh i that seems likely yeah i also wonder though say say you've let your subscription lapse for a, a couple of years let's say hmm. and and you want to uh start it again do you pay the full price do you do you have to back pay the the uh, <laughs> the the subscription cost for the past couple of months or do you just just start again probably just starts it would, again it would at just the start again price, i would think yeah yeah i would too but yeah. not everything I, is like that sometimes sometimes <sighs> there are things where you have to like insurance for example you have to pay the
2: well, this
1: isn't insurance, anyway, though. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: yeah.
1: True, true, true. So here's a sidebar, yeah. if we can. Mm-hmm. We like sidebars. Um, did you notice that Breeze by Martian Cross went down to like ten dollars yesterday or the day before?
2: No, did not notice
1: that. Yeah, Breeze is a tool for you know prototyping apps, and you can you know, design them on the. It's a Mac app. You design it, and there's a there's a player that runs on your phone. So if you're if you're doing a wireframe for a customer and that kind of stuff, you can use this to build. It. I think we talked. I think it was a pick on maybe by me uh, a while back but they just uh it was it was uh you know it was a reasonably priced mac app in the day it was i can't remember the exact number like let's say forty dollars for instance and they uh they just announced on twitter a couple of days ago that they've dropped it down to ten dollars i think there may be some there may have been some wind of this coming and and uh, maybe uh some of these uh more professional level tools are going to start to uh, be more
2: approachable to users right Briefs used to be something like $200. Really? Wow. Yeah. I'm certain of it. Because I've been paying attention to this app since day one. So yeah. I am really shocked. Shocked.
3: Well, really? here's a here's a slightly cynical viewpoint okay. on, on what this might be. Uh, if we will not be able to retrofit an existing paid app to a subscription model, they may be choosing to come up with a new version that is subscription based right. ah, as right. soon as this becomes available and they're just giving, they're trying to clear the shelves, I guess is, is one way of thinking about it of the old version. <laughs> by, boxes, by giving, yeah. Yeah. By, by dropping the price.
2: Wow. I'm really I mean, It's, it's
3: slightly it. cynical. I know, but, but it's, I certain, don't think it's certainly possible.
2: Yeah, I think there's something to that. Even as you were saying that Mark, about existing apps, I, it struck me that it seems unlikely that you could do that. I don't know.
3: It, it's going to be a management cynical. nightmare. If it, it, it would be happen. yeah yeah it would be yeah.
2: yeah i don't know it so just to take it back from the sidebar though um sorry tim but you know good sidebar though um thank you <laughs> was um i think i think you're right mark i think you threw out this comment that there will be fewer apps right on people's phones in in a in a sort of perfectly implemented subscription future right where say all the apps are subscription apps if if that ever happened if that came to pass people would have fewer apps right and they would be better apps too wouldn't they theoretically they should be th- better apps because they're supported they have they have money behind them you know uh federico vitici the um you know uh he he runs the MaxStories.net site and is uh, famously uh iPad only in his life. One of the first people ever, as far as I know, who did so. So he, he keeps his eye on apps all the time. And his his position on this was that he would have fewer apps and um, he would expect them to be of better quality. And, you know, he'd be willing to pay for for better quality apps. And there really hasn't been a way to do so until today, right? So you could have an app developer that could, you know, charge a one-time $15 for their high-end professional quality app uh, but that's not enough to pay their bills and continue development right Uh, on the other hand uh, if they charged say five dollars a month then that that would cause them to have enough money to continue development and to do quite well and give the application as much love as it needs to fully realize itself you know so that's that's really exciting um and i i love the idea like especially with you know we're in the area of the ipad pro And this is a problem that we've spoken about in the past, that the motivations for developers just not there because uh, you can't make enough money to support the ongoing development of an app. Well, now with subscription prices that you really actually can, uh, assuming that people are willing to pay. I mean, that's going to be the huge problem, of course. But if it's a good app that a lot of people need, then there's this mechanism now that wasn't there before. And so I don't think we can complain about that. (laughs) It's it's a huge, huge improvement in the App Store. Yeah, definitely, for sure. Yeah,
3: I think so. I, I definitely think uh, the past couple of months have, have seen some real positive moves forward, and hopefully it's just the beginning.
2: Yeah. I mean, if this is what they kept back from WWDC, I'm looking forward to seeing what they announce next week. Um, Did anyone else have anything to say about this? Because I've got sort of a follow-up yeah, you to You have it. a
1: sidebar-ish one there. Yeah, yeah,
2: I kind of do. Uh, so... Today as well, and before Apple made its announcement, <laughs> so this is so funny. I just can't w- help but wonder what they're thinking over there at in Sketchland. The developers of Sketch... What's the name of the company that developed Sketch? I don't even know that. Uh, Bohemian Coding. That's it. Yeah, Bohemian Coding. So they... And, and this is going to be a follow on as well to our discussion last week, uh, from the developers of Twitterific, the Icon Factory, who instituted a tip jar in their latest version of Twitterific for iOS, giving, uh, end users a way to give them some more money and put off that decision to create a new version that would cut off all existing users, but give them new, new revenue. Right. And so following on from that. Um, Bohemian Coding today announced that they are changing the way that they license and version their very uh, popular app, Sketch, which is an illustration uh, tool that a lot of designers use on the Mac. And so uh, basically what they're doing is subscription pricing. Um, They are not in the Mac App Store. They sell just from their website. And so this is something that they can just do, and they don't need Apple's permission. (laughs) But they have decided to change the way that they get revenue from uh, one shot, you know, you buy it and then you keep it to a, a monthly subscription fee. And let me think here. I'm just sort of browsing this post. Okay. They're saying it's not a subscription. What they actually are saying, let me just, you know, back up a little bit because I misstated it a bit. It's not really a subscription. What it is, is a, a, an annual license, essentially. So when you pay the 99 U.S., to buy Sketch, what you're getting for that is an entitlement to all the updates that they would publish for that app for one year from the time that you purchased it. Right. And you get to keep that version. It'll continue to work, you know, for as long as it continues to work, you know, so, you know, it could be five years, it could be 10 years, or whenever OS 10 decides to change some underlying framework and kills its ability to work, um, it will continue to function. Um, However, if after a year, you want to pay another $99, then you get another year of updates. And so, in that sense, it's not really a subscription per se, or software
1: uh, support kind of thing.
2: Yeah. yeah, it it does remind me of that. I was thinking that the term I was going to use was enterprise licensing. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, and so it's it's kind of like the you know a year of support, as they would put it, I guess. Uh, so and you don't really see that too often in this sort of Mac app universe, right? Um you see it with uh, server software for example or or hardware, uh, yeah, like back yeah, in the
1: image centers used to be able to buy like an image center for eighty
2: thousand dollars, and then you paid so much for support license, yeah, shit, get two I mean, come on <laughs> eighty thousand dollars so yeah i mean it's it's a really interesting and different approach i'm i'm not sure what uh sketches customers are going to think about that because um you know they're gonna have to cough up a hundred bucks a year basically um you know which for a tool, let's face it, that a lot of a lot of designers have replaced Photoshop with Sketch, um, and and consider it uh, an amazing and terrific app. I don't think paying hundred dollars a year for something that you use professionally uh, is a big ask at all. No but. but then
1: but for me, like I've been always interested in sketch, and there's a lot of second hand like libraries and plugins and stuff for sketch as well but but because I already own a Photoshop license, I never really wanted to go out and spend the the money on sketch, but maybe that might change with this new subscription model as well right because if they if they change their app to make it a bit more accessible, then maybe could people could you know try it out you know like yeah. the trial trial software like we've not had that before, and we kind of really quickly skimmed over that with the subscription pricing right. So that's kind of an interesting way to approach these things, and a lot a lot of apps i mean a lot of apps you know are like this now i'm'm thinking of many of them that that have been using this kind of app code is another one that another sort of uh, coding assisting tool that you that you could get uh, licenses for, and you had to renew them every year as well so
2: the idea with these is that um, Twitterific and overcast and sketch are all trying to solve this problem. This problem being of, you know, we uh, are in a world where users kind of expect to get free updates. And so we need to find an alternative way to get them to provide us with more money. And, you know, it's, it's funny that sketch did that today. Meanwhile, Apple is announcing tools to do just that. And so, um, it's It's amazing, <laughs> it's kind of mind blowing and oh yes, the one thing that should be noted is that unlike so many other things that Apple does on the store uh, this these changes that we that we just talked about tonight are for all the stores they're for the Mac App Store, the iOS app store, the Apple TV app store, all of them. So this is not just something for iPhone, and that is wonderful news to hear so i'm I'm really pleased okay timing any thoughts
0: i mean quick i i definitely agree with with what's being said here that i think um y- you'll see some folks in the um the sketch post on medium who are like well what do you mean like i used to pay 99 dollars two to th- every two to three years now i'm paying 99 dollars a year like that's more money it's like well okay you could look at it that way but you could also look at it as like you're gonna get presumably, right? You know, um, more updates and probably even better updates every year instead of it kind of stagnating. And then them saying, yeah, okay, this is enough for us to release. Let's release it. Now there's an incentive, a real obvious developer incentive to keep things going, right? Keep, keep drawing in that money. And it's not like a, as was mentioned here on the show, it's not like a subscription thing where, you know, if you stop paying Comcast, guess what? Your, your TV goes away Uh, with this. It, will still work for you know as long as the operating system will support it so there, there is not like a like a huge issue there it, it is more akin to oh yeah you, you bought a new macBook pro this year great you don't have to buy next year's or the year after or many many years after that until eventually it gets so old that you gotta need a new one I think it's very very similar to that feels fair to me um the other <laughs> last thing I want to say on that topic is uh wow that was really bad timing for sketch like they just got Pummel. yeah. Oh. And, and if they just waited a day, it would be like, oh, okay. You know, Apple took all the the interesting heat for this, and then everybody's looked at it from a different lens.
2: Yeah. Although it's worth noting that Sketch is not on the Mac App Store, so they they would not benefit from this move from Apple. Sure, but there would
0: be the conversation about oh, it already, sure. right? Like totally, let, totally. let let the big dogs take the heat, and then you kind of <laughs> yeah. just sneak in once it's like you know a little bit more the the norm now for everybody,
3: right? Absolutely. And this may actually incentivize more people to go back onto the Mac app store that, that are no longer there.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Indeed. Holy F.U., you, Batman. I know, eh? Oh my D- goodness. These are minor FUs, real real
1: quick FUs, but
0: <laughs> Well before we go there, are we just gonna gloss over the search ads? Like we mentioned oh, yeah. it in, no, in summary right. form, but we didn't we didn't touch it at all at a in a detailed
2: yeah. level. Yeah, no, and we should touch it. We should touch it hard. <laughs> okay, <you> hit me. <laughs> Jaime, you go first. I, I I'm just so, I'm a little befuddled. I'm going to be honest with you, but Jaime, you go first.
0: Well, the, the, the bits that are involved here is kind of what it sounds like, where as a user in the app store, or stores presumably, when you search for something... Um, you may or may not see an ad very similar to like Google's search ads, right? Or um was it AdWords product, right? You searched for, you know, trip to San Jose and you probably saw like Travelocity or Kayak or American Airlines or something show up as a as a really big obvious ad, and then below it was the actual search results that you looked for. This is kind of like that where there's a um they're calling it the second-price auction system, where as a developer you can say, "Hey, like I really want to buy the ad word for you know Twitter client or or similar." And if somebody searches in the App Store for that, and if you won the auction, your app will be shown there in a big, like kind of like bluish, kind of looking scheme showing um, an ad. But it's it's not like the sleazy type of ads, which I think people are worried about. This is pretty much your your App Store content. That it's showing, right? Like the real app icon, the real text and everything else. Um, everything's clearly marked. Uh, it's only shown in search results. It's pay for click. So you don't pay anything unless somebody or tap, you, you know, you don't pay anything unless somebody actually taps in to view your ad. Um, the, the one bit I'm not hundred percent clear on, and hopefully they close the loop on this is hopefully developers will be able to see in some sort of reporting mechanism, how their different campaigns are doing and you can see, you know, oh, you know, it wasn't effective to buy Twitter clients, but it was effective to buy social media or something, right? Because I think that'll be important for people. I would
3: think they would have that because uh, the other competing services, you know, Google, Facebook, uh, that kind of thing is pretty sophisticated these days. So if Apple didn't have that, it would be pretty conspicuous in its absence.
2: I just don't see how Facebook and Twitter and any Google app is not going to be Every result for, in this auction system. <laughs> like, I, I don't like. I think Schiller mentioned at one point that this system is put in place to support any developers as well. I just can't imagine how they will not be outspent by the larger companies.
3: I, I, am I missing something? No, I, I think you're okay. not missing something. Um, although it, it's certainly possible that Apple could do some kind of balancing like the other people do, uh, when they, when they do the, the auctions for, you know, who gets that impression, uh, there is a factor in there for how often has your ad been shown. Uh, so if, if somebody else's ad has a much bigger spend and therefore has been shown way, way, way more than yours, uh, they will sometimes bump yours up a little bit just to, just to give it some exposure so although you're right i mean if if their spend is a million times your spend it's going to show up a a whole lot more but hopefully it's not a million times more
1: well they're saying uh, there's some bullet points here on the on the uh, daring fireball um, uh, recap where it says that apps are paid for in a second price auction system meaning that uh, a winning bid only plays just enough to to, uh, more than the second place uh, winner so or third place, fourth place, whatever. So it sounds like they are, they do have a balancing system or scheme
2: in mind. So, oh no, that's just the way AdWords works, right? right. So when here's how AdWords works, and yeah, you know, I I've used this system. You probably have too, uh, but the idea is that you set a budget. And you decide how you're going to spend your budget based on the keywords that you are going to uh, place your content against, essentially. In the case of of what we're looking at here, the content is really just your app listing. And um, that, that's a, one of the blessings of this thing, is that it's not like some third-party or third-site marketing thing. And it's not creative that you supply. It's It's just your app listing. It's already been approved. So in this case, though, you provide a budget and it determines what your you know your daily spend maximum amount will be and that's your that's your highest price for this auction that's going to happen on the fly on every on every search result load basically for that for that keyword so if google goes in there and says yeah we want uh every search for toronto you know to to have to show the google maps app for example um, and we're willing to pay thirty dollars per impression. Um, well, that that might be my whole spend per day, right? As as an indie developer, or per month? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, well. for that term, right? Um, and so it calculates my my daily max at one thirtieth of that. say a dollar, right? So already Google is thirty times higher than I am in that regard, and I I'm not even going to come close. And you're going to see a Google Maps ad for that search result, right? And that's, I'm pretty damn sure that's exactly what's going to happen, (laughs) that you're going to see all the big names in that blue ad box. And we will all very quickly start to ignore them because of course, we already know about these apps, guys, come on.
0: Well, so I think there's a couple different things here that can be used to
2: tune the system
0: though, right? Um, One would be the fact that it's apparently going to be ads that are relevant to the search terms so you can't right. have like some new game spam you know productivity tool or something um the, the other thing is that uh they they did this with the the, the tv store is my understanding and, and supposedly they're, they're doing it with the current stores where you know if you have an app installed there's no darn good reason to show it on like the featured page right everybody's got facebook there's zero reason to feature facebook right um Except for the very tiny handful of people who don't have it, so if you are somebody who uses, you know, most of the Google apps, uh, that should reduce the number of times that you'll see the ad for their app, right? Like, there's just just no point. Why would they want to pay to have you, what, open their app? They've, it's already installed. It's not like you would install it again. So, so that'll help. And and, and sure, there's there's no doubt that, um, in my conversations with folks, uh, primarily around, um, Facebook's app install ads you know like at the like really grassroots indie level the the sort of budgets that people are talking about um having worked in a vc funded company before that, that made use of app install ads yeah like the amount of money that people are talking about oh this is my monthly budget I'm like that might be 30 seconds of our budget right like yeah. that you're just not playing the, the the same game there and and i don't think it's you know, incumbent on Apple to make a system that would let that happen. Instead, I would think I would start looking for the optimization bits, right? Like the, the money ball technique for this, where, you know, what are the different words that are relevant to, you know, people that would want to find your app and how can you find those appropriately priced ones? Just, just assume, you know, social networking is owned by somebody, right? Like that's not your place. It's, uh, you know, Toronto, Toronto, Local meetup or
3: something might be something that's
0: cheaper. Who knows? My two
3: cents. Yep. Yep. And and it will be interesting if if this is truly limited to just apps, uh, then it will be a different style of marketplace than than Facebook or, or Google because those are not limited to just apps. Uh, so so you're competing in those cases against websites or or just you know whatever commercial you know brick and mortar things or any, anything that people are trying to to push in those. So it will be interesting to see what happens. Uh, another thing that's interesting that I instantly thought of is is uh, now that iAds is gone, uh, actually maybe not even a lot of people know about this, but but iAds one component of iAds for a while that they were pushing was uh, was for app install ads, uh, and you could create an ad for your app and it would show up in the in the banners in iAds or or wouldn't show up depending on. How well it did, and, and and it was pretty much a complete colossal failure, I think. So, uh, oh, dear, uh, but I, I do wonder if either some of the same technology is is happening is is coming here, or if if it's just uh, if it's if part of the reason iAds went away is because this was coming to replace it, that that may be a more likely possibility, uh, or if it's just completely separate and independent, and Apple just responding to what the rest of the industry is doing.
1: Well, have you guys ever run any iAds in your any of your apps? Yes. And how did you find the performance?
3: Well, it's interesting. Uh, the CPMs, or, or actually the, the CPCs, I guess, were more relevant, were much better than AdWords or AdMob, I guess it was at the time. Uh, however, the volume of ads from AdMob was way higher. So in other words, you'd, you'd get more. So uh, let me let me explain a little bit more what I'm talking about. So I didn't only use iAds. I used a combination of iAds and an ad mob, and just you know checking to see which one had an ad to show at any given time. And and because uh, uh, they don't have 100 percent fill rates, at least when I was doing it, not kind of not not even that close to 100. But but that depends on a lot of factors. So so I found that uh, the when someone actually did click an an iad ad, it did pay a lot better than clicking one AdMob ad, but you saw a lot more AdMob ads, so it was kind of a wash there.
1: Yeah, but did, so I know a couple of developers who get hundreds of dollars a month on on ads or iads, and they were till yeah. recently. Right, right. Uh, is that the kind of? you, I mean, I I made pennies on on the ads that I've ever run. Same with same with Google Ads and AdWords. AdWords are more successful, but yeah, uh, yeah. I've had a Google Google AdWords account forever, and I I don't think I've ever even seen a it check. It's so small. Ah, uh,
3: yeah. So yeah, so the the apps that I ran ads in were not my higher running ads. So I didn't have a oh, sorry apps, So I didn't have a huge amount of volume, but I you know I, I did okay. I mean, I made you know. Uh, I don't think I made hundreds of dollars every month, but I made probably tens um, of dollars per month. And <laughs> you know, that's by okay, you know, that's that's all in the grand scheme that's of things. Great, that's actually, nothing, that's but amazing. But compared to compared people, to what I saw, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. These, but these were not high volume apps. I, I could see if you had a, an app with with you know a million users a day, then obviously yeah, it's it's it could be very lucrative. Sure.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so Javi, why don't you tell us about this um WWDC Family uh link you put in here?
0: Right. So this is something that is organized by Felix Krauss. You might remember his name from uh Fastlane, the multi multi-talented tools that will handle certs and uploading to the App Store and taking screenshots and all sorts of things, now owned by uh Twitter, but an open source project. And in the case, WWDC.family is um is an app right built and maintained by line. Um, and it, I guess it's like a group within, uh, the line dot here app. Think of it like, um, Foursquare back in the day where you could sort of like share your location, check into place sort of thing. And this idea is like, well, let's make it easier for people who like want to find out you know, where are all the WWDC people at. Right. So uh, of course, during the sessions, it, it, obviously people are going to be there in like the Moscone area and the Graham center area. Um, but there's all sorts of parties and stuff going on. And then some people just sort of break off from the group and say, Hey, you know, I don't really feel like eating the, um, not so great sandwich boxes, um, during lunchtime. Uh, let's go out to the metropolitan or let's go to all these other places. And that's more or less what it is, right? You, you don't have to join this. Um, apparently there's ways to, uh, see where everybody else is located without actually sharing your own location. If you're, you know, concerned about privacy and, and, and whatnot. Um, just another way to get the news out right there's probably slack groups growing up uh there's the wwdc uh, parties app and all sorts of different ways to get out there and connect with your colleagues
1: cool so wait you didn't like the box lunches at wwdc they they vary from uh mediocre to
0: not good at all in my experience (laughs) wow
2: (laughs) i wonder if they were the ones like at the apple tv tech talks that we were at last fall where they, it, they were, were awesome oh
0: really whoa apparently toronto got something great because they were um indistinguishable in seattle from the Moscone type of stuff Hmm. like i think they had them shipped in or something like i you
2: would think they would just use like a local provider i think yeah. i think they got a warehouse somewhere for were, these were things. they in were they in boxes or bags boxes okay ours came in brown paper bags do you remember that tim yeah vaguely vaguely yeah yeah, do you remember liking them? Well, I
1: can tell you. Let me go back to the WWDC. Cause, All right, more important things. Yes. Well, no, I mean, I mean, because <laughs> yeah, you know, I went there for five years in a row, and it was always, like Jaime said, it was always the same thing. It was sort of a, a wrap, uh, like a fajita wrap uh, sandwich, you know, either chicken or turkey and vegetarian that kind of stuff. And they were generally pretty good. The desserts were nothing to write home to mom about, but but the, they had these awesome smoothies for the first couple of years I went, and then they then you had to really look for the fridge that had the smoothies smoothies in it, but uh I didn't find that, you know, considering I was there for the day and I was planning on not going anywhere else, but to like a uh, sometimes even a lunch and learn, right? Because uh, they had the great lunchtime talks at WWC. So, I mean, I don't know if it's gone downhill since then, I may, you know, who knows? Well, when, when was the last time you went? Uh, 2014, a, 2014.
0: Okay. Yeah. So by 2012, they were already start, which is the the year that I went. And then I went in 2015. Um, I, I think I may have been eating a 2012 sandwich in 2015. Like I, I don't really know. Oh,
3: man. Well, all guys, snacks. all I can say is you're not there for the food. And when you're in San Francisco, there's some of the best food in the world. You just need to walk a little bit. So, you know, it, no complaining about the food.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's true. And, yeah, some places open quite late, too, as well in
2: San Francisco. Yep. yep. It's going to be crazy there. Uh, so, Jaime or Mark, are you going to go at all to San Francisco? During next week,
3: I have no actually, plans to right now um I mean i you know it's it's relatively easy for me to do it it's i mean it's a it's an hour drive, so it's not trivial to do it, but it's easy enough to do it um but I don't really have any plans to right now. I plan to just watch the sessions on my own,
2: yeah, I guess that's what i'm doing too would you would you be interested in
1: going to altconf and that kind of stuff mark i
3: I checked it out a little bit uh, and actually I couldn't find a schedule of the talks, maybe it's up there by now, but when I checked there wasn't any so uh, if I if I didn't know what the talks were, there was no way I was going to make that drive. Uh, but uh, if there's something interesting, then then sure, it's a possibility. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I watched some of the videos after the fact because the few times I was down there, that I think I was down there. I think it started to any around the same time as it got really hard to buy tickets uh, or get tickets, I should say, um, for WWC. That is, uh, they started up all conf. I think they probably they're probably in the third or fourth year now so but they had good people like uh, mike lee would talk there and um brianna Wu would be there a few other people that aren't the show i'm pretty sure our co-hosts or sometimes co-host greg greg Hill will be lurking around looking to take selfies of people if you want to <laughs> hit him up and you know tell okay them.
3: actually the the schedule is up now for AltConf. it wasn't last summer i checked but it is there now at altconf.com slash schedule pretty simple
2: cool do you want to talk about what we're hoping to see next week at the conference in terms of announcements? Yeah, we could talk about
1: it. I, th- I heard uh, from—I uh, didn't see the post, but apparently Rene Ritchie heard from somebody, you know,
2: on the high that there was going to be no new hardware announced at, at WWDC. Yeah, I—I I think that does appear to be the consensus, mm-hmm. which would be sad. Mm-hmm. Um, not for me personally; I'm not in the market, but you know, I think the MacBook Pro has been long long in the tooth let's say yeah <laughs> i know there's a lot of people on my work slack that are looking forward to new macbook pros uh, they will probably be disappointed until the fall right right yeah i, I heard crazy i heard new phone in the fall and watch in the fall and yeah new knew everything in the fall if that's the case yeah 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 it's gonna be lots of hardware being purchased A lot of waiting lists to be on. Well, if I had to get my crystal ball out for next
1: week, I'd say that they're probably going to do some more advances on the game kit frameworks, a gameplay kit, I think it's called, right? Uh, Where they had last year, they introduced a whole bunch of um, reasonable tools that you could use in your games, logic, AI logic, um, you know, uh, different moving, moving uh, tools. So I think that that's something where uh, they've gotten more into
2: Really, is that the first place your mind goes? Well, no, not that right? really.
1: I, that's just one of the places. I mean, the state of the union. One thing about the state of the union being at five o'clock uh, p.m. It means it's going to be eight o'clock p.m. for us here on the east coast. Um, the worst. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, there were a few. They, there were a few surprises last year. Surprising, like you know. I mean, from what I saw, I was going to say surprisingly, but yeah. But uh, yeah, I was surprised to see that there were some some new tech uh, come out. There was really interesting talks last year, right? So. I mean we got the protocol oriented Swift uh talk. It has been buzzing around. I'm I'm sure there'll be more on that kind of stuff and more on what you like to call idiomatic Swift, Aaron, right? One could uh, hope. Yeah, and, and who knows? I mean, I don't w I, I guess we've talked about this before. Like do you think some frameworks uh, private frameworks are gonna come out written
2: in Swift or maybe have the Swift versions of them? That's the you big know? question. Are we going to see uh the longed hope for combination of AppKit and UIKit, written in Swift oh, that's true, and yeah. protocol-oriented. Uh, is that going to happen? Uh, is it too soon? It might be. I don't know. But uh, that would be a hugely ambitious thing for Apple to do, and it feels like they need to do it at some point. Why not now? Well, one of our... so I don't
1: know if we talked about this already, but one of our Ask MTJC questions that just came in across the wire like an hour ago was what do you expect to see in, in Xcode 8 if there is such an animal? Is that...
2: I don't know. Like, yeah, we did mention it, but we didn't really get too deep into it. You know, refactor and mm-hmm. um, <laughs> more reliable.
3: <laughs> I'd like to see some better support for version control. Uh, Xcode's mm-hmm. still a little bit weak in that area. I can say, having struggled with that today, uh, that I would like to see some improvements. Yeah. Um, what else?
1: Yeah, that's true about the version control thing. I think SourceTree kicks their butt. Um Apple's but that is. And uh I'm sure there are other tools out there. I'm not thinking like I know GitHub app
2: came out last year, I think, the Mac app, right? Um and that's quite yeah. a useful tool, right? Yep, yeah, yep. Uh well, you know, I still use the command line I'm not sure there's anything Xcode can do to take me away from that either. No, just make it more uh, convenient. I'm not, You're right. Yeah, yeah. Like sometimes I look at the source code menu to see what branch I'm on. I've been known to do that. That's that's as far as it goes. Um, I guess, you know, I would think my biggest wish for Xcode 8 would be greater stability. I just want it to work better, you know, and it's not that it's terrible now, but, um, it can always be better. And, you know, all the times that you, something goes wrong, something doesn't work right. And you have to clean the build, you know, empty the build folder, uh, go back into it, uh, re uh, compile it from scratch, which takes a lot longer on a MacBook 12 inch than you know it would on my iMac 5K. By the way, so you notice it. Uh, <laughs> I want to see if you, uh, less of that over time. Uh, I, I just want Xcode to be faster, and I want it to be um, a more reliable. Um, in terms of UI polish, um, you know, like it, it's hard to complain too much. I mean, it's it's a really smart app in so many ways. There are tweaks that you can have here and there um little little spit and polish if you will but um, i'm not looking for too much uh it's i've I've gotten used to it I, I know how it works now so you don't have to gut it and then you know next week we'll be like oh my god they gutted xcode <laughs> well i mean
1: you know they've added some tweaks to uh, the auto layout tools over the years last year they added slack or stack view right um, and we talked about view debugging a little bit last week and, and, uh, property debugging, I guess, with, the with the visual, uh, quick look kind of, uh, stuff they have in there. You don't think there'll be more advancements
2: in that? You sure there might be. Yeah. You know, um, I'd love to see, you know, I'd like to see, uh, UI view debugging come to the Mac, you know, um, there is nothing that allows you to do it on the Mac right now. I'm working on a little Mac app of my own on the side. And every time I do work on the Mac, it's uh, incredibly painful sometimes to figure out what is happening with your views because there are no tools like that, not built into Xcode and not like reveal app. The, um, the third party tool that I use for uh, view debugging iOS apps uh, doesn't work on the Mac and nothing oh, does. Really? Hmm. <laughs> um, I wish it did. Uh, if, if Xcode wants to get into that game, I would welcome them with open arms <laughs> That would excite me. But, you know, like we can say that about a lot of things on the Mac, right? I mean, if, if that, if they want to make that a theme of WWDC, like all this crap that we have on iOS that we've been saying will come to the Mac. Yeah. We're going to actually do that now. Crowd goes wild. (laughs) Yeah. I just, I guess, I guess it comes down to again, the,
1: the numbers of Mac app developers out there versus iOS. That may be
2: part of the impetus, right? Yeah. Well, you know, they they talk about certain things coming to the Mac, and then they just don't do it. I know there are some examples. I'm not thinking of them right now, though.
3: What about There's Apple TV? I think we'll we'll have to see something about Apple TV.
1: Yeah, definitely, yeah. Uh,
3: certainly a new version of, of tvOS. Uh, what would be in there? Good question. Keyboard support.
2: So yeah. developers can make productivity apps. I'm really just kidding. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I'll toss in one that, that I think is maybe...
0: You know, fairly realistic for for TVOS, and and actually something that I took Apple to task for for the design. I I would like it to be where, um, you can require an actual controller yes. for the apps, right? I mean, come on, guys. I I think I, I, I'm repeating the same thing for whatever episode that was. It's like, you know, it's not good enough to have to have oh everything is usable with the TV remote because Apple has decided that it didn't want to spend the engineering resources to have a filter out this app or show a warning like, Hey, it looks like you don't have a, a, you know, compatible controller associated with this device. You can't or shouldn't go forward. I think that would be great because what you end up with is just, you know, uh, the, the casual games and, and none of the, you know, more than just a casual game aspect in, in the app store. You can't have anything that would approach with like, um, Forget even Steam, but just any of like you know Xbox, PlayStation, uh, even Nintendo 3DS type games are just impossible
3: to do on the App Store for uh, the TPOs. I mean, I think a couple of weeks ago you mentioned that virtual reality could be a big theme at WWDC. What about virtual reality for Apple TV? So have some really immersive uh, on sc- you know on the big screen apps where you could where you could go shopping by walking around in a mall and pick up things and look at things or or things like that.
0: Yeah, that might be well-timed because Getty Images just launched a VR group that's going to have a lot of stock stuff. So if you wanted to show, um, you know, here's something related to Olympics, uh, presumably you'd be able to pull off some sort of 360 view imagery to to use as a baseline for that because it certainly would be costly to have a oh here's what every apple store looks like but uh, here's like the flagship one Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. here's what here's what the new you know macbook pro in purple rain color will look like in your house sort of thing and kind of imagine that I, i could see that
3: happening yeah it could be interesting i guess it's more augmented reality that i'm thinking instead of virtual reality but
1: yeah exactly yeah
3: but Although not so much that either, though, because it's not you're not carrying your TV around with you in real life. It's just a it's just a more immersive experience with the TV. Like what they what they tried to do with DVDs when they first came out, right? You would you would sort of wander around these environments and and open up you know clips of or, of other movies or things like that, right? It was it was, but it was very very primitive. That could be a lot more sophisticated right now with 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 a with a TVOS app.
1: Yeah, they could do some some um you know, using your phone or using an iPad or something, have something appear like like the augmented reality thing, a pattern appears on the, the screen and if you look at it through the lens of your camera on your device, your iOS device, maybe there's a more immersive experience or menu that pops up or something yeah. kind of funky like that, right? So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so as far as uh, Xcode goes and
0: W W D C so the the two things I would like to see in Xcode are um The simulators, I'd like to see them offer functionality that's on real devices in some sort of simulated fashion. So I'm thinking of the camera, which camera apps are completely unusable in the simulator. Um, Motion, like all of these things, like it would be nice to have more of that so that it's uh, closer in coverage to what uh, emulators can do uh, while still being, you know, blazing fast that the advantage the simulator has right um it it's it's kind of hard to test things that require some sort of real sensor uh because the simulator just doesn't have it so you have to install on a device um as far as testing goes which is kind of almost hand in hand with this i'd like to see uh some sort of gray box testing which which i've talked about before in some previous episode where you know the ui testing is great the unit testing is great but i kind of want something in between where i'm you know, running the UI, but I still have the ability to poke underneath the covers and change some things, some very important things that are somewhat awkward to do from the uh, extremely black box accessibility only based UI testing. So something in between would would be nice and I think super helpful. Uh, as far as other things going for, for WWDC more in general, I think Siri API is almost a lock. I mean, it, it sounds like it's, it's almost a sheer sure thing we've seen everything except like, you know, a leak of source code or something. Um, <laughs> the, the one that I think is a little bit more fancible but fanciful, but I would like to also see is, uh, some sort of, uh, functional reactive programming supports in, uh, hmm. well, iOS or macOS. I mean, iOS probably would get it first if anything, uh, just because I, I think it's interesting as a, a methodology for developing UI. Um, However, um, I'm not really sold on the idea of jumping whole hog into a third-party dependency like Reactive Coco or uh, Reactive Swift or other bits. Like It's just too painful if you pick the wrong one, right? Not and nice. ha- having official support would be nice, especially because we were already talking about you know it would be nice if uh, AppKit and UIKit were updated to be uh, somewhat
3: more modern and maybe even more flexible in the way that they handle things. Wow. Speaking of officially supported mm. things, I would love to see an officially supported solution for deep linking through app install from Apple, mm. uh, which is something that you know, we wanted for years, and it's it's now finally doable with uh, Safari web controllers and 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 that that uh, that technology. But right now, there's there's sort of a, a bunch of Third-party solutions, which are still a little bit, you know, black magic to get working, and sometimes I work, sometimes I don't work. Uh, having an official, uh, an official solution from Apple would be fantastic. So, for, for anyone who doesn't know what I'm talking about, uh, the the problem is that say you want to uh, have someone install your app from a website or a, or a push notification, or not a push, but an SMS or something like that. So by by tapping a link, but you can do that right now uh, by having it direct you to the app store and, and then you just install from the app store and then you can run the app by hitting open. But until recently, there was no solution for tacking some parameters onto the end of that link and having the app, when it runs, use those parameters to take you to a specific point in your app. You know, For example, if you want to customize it for where it came from, say, say it's a shopping app and, and the link was... You know, you, you were searching for shoes and, and you want to take the person directly to the place in your app that has all the shoes. Then you can have a parameter in your, in your link, and that's called deep blinking, where the app can use that parameter. But getting it through the app store into the install process was always a, a tough thing. And there were all sorts of tricks, but they were tricks. Now with universal links and, and, uh, and Safari web controllers, there's, there's some really good solutions for doing that. But as I said, there's no official solution offered by Apple. And that would be a really, really nice thing. Anyone who's doing e-commerce kind of apps benefit. Yeah, that's
2: a natural. Huh? And of course the usual things that we've spoken about before. Um, you know, we're looking for some new thinking, I think, on Watch OS three. Um moving away from the app model we talked about on the previous shows. Uh also we've talked about rethinking iPad OS or at the very least making it more distinct from the iPhone and uh more more like a computer if you want to put it that way uh with better file support, more robust multitasking, um connectivity, etc., etc., etc. Um so we're just I'm, I I personally I'm looking for signs that Apple is is still going to be very serious about this uh, about the iPad in particular and uh, secondarily about the watch
1: okay let's go around the table like we can usually do and see if anybody has a pick and uh, oh wait a minute Jaime only has one pick this week Woohoo! Yeah, what um, is up with that
0: well it, it's so hard to do picks so close to WWDC because the last thing you want is to have a pick that like oh wow you should use this and oh look it's completely pointless and obsolete two days later um, hey this is not a bad thing <laughs> this is fine Right. Um, so the one and single pick that I have this week is from Google. It's a, a new app called Motion Stills that I'm going out on a limb because I don't have a device that can do live photos. So I have not tested this myself, but I hear from many people that it's a it's a good thing. And so it's used to create not only animated GIFs from your live photos that are shareable with you know, folks who may not be fortunate enough to have uh, live photo capabilities such as myself. Um, but it also does that hyperlapse style stabilization as well, right? So the the link that we'll have in the show notes here is from Google's research blog, where they show how they did um, do that same analysis of motion and cropping effect to give you a, hey, like this was shaky cam view, and now they've made it into a nice smoothed out very clean experience uh some of these are like really shocking as to how how good of a job that it did in stabilizing that so i think that's that's worth
2: checking out for folks cool wild Geez, i wonder if uh, the guys at cinemagraph pro Mm -hmm. are looking at this kind of similar but it's great to see a use for live photos that kind of goes beyond You know, the (laughs) just looking at these examples here, they're really good. Um, (laughs) um, You know, beyond just looking at them in your photos library, for example. You know, it's funny like, my sister has a 6S, and I was uh, we were hanging out last weekend, and I showed her how live photos works like, it's been on the whole time, right? And she was showing me a picture of her cat, and I, I did a force touch on it while I was holding her phone. And the cat, you know, is continuing to move. And she's like, what did you just do? And I was like, no, this is awesome. This is <laughs> my magic finger. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing. And then she went through, like, all her other cat pictures and saw little Talisker moving around. And was mesmerized, <laughs> as you can imagine. Because live photos is actually a really neat uh, piece of technology. Um, but it, you can't really do anything with it outside of your Photos app, right? So this, from Google, of all people, is actually... Really cool. Mm-hmm. I wish I uh, I had a, a success capable of doing live photos.
1: Alas, alas, you don't.
2: Alas, mm-hmm. I do not.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so does this work? I mean, with existing, I guess, stuff in your camera roll, right? Or do they have to be shot in the in this app? So I don't think that they have to be shot in there. Um, the the key thing, the the key trick that
0: they're doing, um, like the first thing you can notice, and if you look at the the example you show with the uh, young lady in the green jacket now you can tell, like they have a cropping area. So they've, they've moved it in. Right. So that some of the worst jarring effects of motion that you would see would be on the periphery. Uh, I think for many reasons, you know, one of which is just the fact that, um, you know, you're probably going to keep yourself centered on something. You're going to keep trying to align the camera on whatever your main focal interest was as somebody taking stuff. But it also gives you some of that, okay, uh, we need to transition from one bit to another to sort of seamlessly keep things uh, in the same space. And if you don't have to deal with the entire rectangle of imagery, then you've got more to play with, right? You can kind of move in and say, okay, uh, here's where things would have been shifted, but we can accommodate that with, you know, it's not my area for the image analysis piece, but you can imagine like, oh, if there's this amount of distortion between this frame and this frame, we can say, oh, we'll remap it to that spot in this new uh, layout space. And I think that's more or less what they're doing. Like when I look at the the example of, I don't know, they're driving up or walking up uh, like a farm country road. And if you look real, real closely at the at the barn or whatever that might happen to be, you can kind of see the effect I'm talking about where if you were to imagine, okay, where are the pixels that define the, um, the triangular top part of the roof? Okay. Find those pixels in every frame. And, and since that's more or less, you know, in the central area, now use that to figure out, okay, it was here. Now it was there in most frames. It tends towards this spot. So, let's just transition that to that spot for all frames to smooth it out yeah, that makes I think- sense I get it. it's It's not like my my expertise, but I can it, based on my layman's reading of what they did i can I can kind of see how they they mapped things
3: I wonder if it's just some kind of a low pass filter right to take out any high frequency movements mm. not not a filter in in uh the, the pixel space but yeah but a filter in the the change in the pixel space from frame to frame mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. so aaron do you have a pick
3: and this
2: one is something i would not of course have had a chance to try but looked neat nonetheless this is some fellow named nick lee who built an android phone into a iphone case are you with me so far yeah so (laughs) it's basically an android um system on a chip on a on a board embedded in a case with a lightning cable on it and then on the iphone you have an app which can display the system that's running on the android chip and so what you have then is an iphone that can run android and the article that I'm linking to from The Verge, uh, includes a video and a description of what this guy has done, along with some pictures of the components that he put together. It's a total electronics nerd, uh, dream job, if you ask me, I mean, it's, it's really a, a nasty looking hack, but, uh, it actually kind of works and, uh, it's an interesting proof of concept and kind of makes you think, <laughs> um, So check it out, uh, read the article and watch the video and you can kind of get a nice laugh out of the idea of, of an Android phone running inside of an app on an iPhone.
1: And he's got the 3d printed case. It looks like, um,
2: yeah. Okay. So this is an actual phone that he put in the bottom case or. Yeah. Well, basically anybody can get like an arm CPU on a system on a chip and on a board and wired up with a lightning cable, right? Like Android is open. <laughs> right. Right. We used to mock them for it, but no, really it's open. So you can do this. You can get the Android open source project and you can compile it and, you know, run it on, uh, you know, a, an arm chip and, uh, do something like this. You could never go the other way, of course, because, you know, Apple's walled garden. Yep. Oh, the worst. So kind of cool.
1: Yeah, interesting idea. Hmm. Well, cool. um, my well, I can I do my two picks or just one? <laughs> How many? I, I only see one pick. I, you. Oh no, I see there's two. two you Space them apart. You can yeah, do one for me, Tim. All right, I'll do one for you. Okay. Okay. So, uh, in, in honor of Mark not having a pick, I'm going to do two. So, uh, my first pick was was a pitcher. I tweeted. Um, a couple of weeks ago, and I have to give Carol two kudos for this. She's always looking for things to play with uh, with our various grandchildren. And we bought an Osmo system... About six months ago, and I I think I used this as a pick on my, on the show. What Osmo is, is, is a, um, a stand and a, and a mirror that you put over your front-facing camera. And what it does is when the uh, iPad is standing more, or it works with iPhone and iPad, but when it's standing vertically, uh, you can, it can, it watches the area in front of the, the desk in front of the, uh, the iOS device. And so they have these games and stuff you can play, but it's the latest one they've added here is um they've added a thing called uh, osmo coding, and um you get little um programming bits and it's sort of it's to teach kids how to program using uh various steps so you have like a, a, a run uh, um method and you have an arrow that you set the direction and you can also have a count, which sets like take five steps to the left, for instance, or five steps to the right. And there's a game that comes with it. And I, I've got a vine I made of it. I'll put that up in the show notes, but, um, you, uh, so you, you, you put these things together and there's like a little play button or run button, if you will. And it runs through the program, um, and, and plays out what the kids have put together in their little, their little method or whatever you want to call it function. Um, and so there 's a game that comes with and, and it 's like a little character and you have to teach him how to go and get these berries that he has to pick up and it 's very similar to like you know uh, any kind of one of those uh, tool, uh, games where you have to move you know in these little grid grid universes right and so you know you tell the little guy to go five steps to the right he and he hops five steps to the right till he hits a tree or something like that um, and it 's a really interesting fun way to sort of Learn coding, learn the concepts of coding, I guess is the best way to say that, and uh, with these uh, fun tools. And so Carol bought that and it just showed up one day, and I tweeted a picture of it when I saw it. And so we were playing with it this weekend. Um, It does say on the box, Aaron, that it supports iPhone, iPad, and iPad Pro. However, it doesn't say on the box, it doesn't support the iPad Pro 12 inch. Uh, device that I have. So we had to kind of, you know, we put it in the stand and we kind of had to, I have a stand to hold my, for the, in the kitchen where I can prop up a, an iPad for cooking. So I used that and I kind of, we kind of played around with it till we figured out it has to be pretty much vertical. So it does support the iPad pro seven twelve point seven 12.7 is it 12.7, 12.9. Here's the way I think of it. 12.9 down to 9.7. So nine and oh, nine. Thank you. Yeah. Very Okay, so so 12, supports a twelve point nine device, but with a little bit of modifications. And of course, as the kids were playing with the uh, with the device uh, with the game, I'm looking at it, going, I wonder, I'm just you know almost ready to grab the iPad if it started tipping over, right? Because that's kind of an expensive tool to to break uh, playing this game. But it's kind of cool. So if you're interested in in teaching kids how to code, uh, and I've, I've got a link to the video uh, on the site, which uh, shows a, a brother and sister sort of playing with the game and how it works. It's kind of fun.
3: Um, yeah, it kind of stick yeah, I'm looking at the website now. It kind of sticks into the stand there. Yeah. I can yeah. I can see a an overly rambunctious kid kind of poking it in just the right way to yeah, crack yeah. that screen, you know, because of the torque
1: well, it's not so much that. I mean, the 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 stand itself, the white stand, has it's it's molded plastic, so your device kind of sits in it pretty firmly. Mm-hmm. And they don't really have to touch the iPad other than to start the game. And and uh, there's an account that you have to log in with, but you, you know you have to activate the software, which sounds kind of weird to me. If you don't have the tool, the box of uh, the kit, you really can't do much with the apps anyway. Uh, but they have different things. They have math, and there's a drawing app where you can do this. One game called Masterpiece where you can you can bring up an image on the screen and then you can as you trace with your finger on the paper it shows you sort of in real time the feedback of what have how well you're tracing the lines and that kind of stuff so it's a, it's an interesting little system kind of fun hmm. but uh yeah my second pick was uh, something I've been interested in doing, and this is maybe for some of the developers who've talked about this. In fact, I think Aaron at one point said, I would really look, like to learn how to make an iOS framework. Well, there's a quick little tutorial by uh, my buddy over at uh, raywonderlake.com, Mike Katz, um, and I apologize. I think he's in the New York area, and um, he uh, works for a software company. And but So so I am also interested in building frameworks, and, and uh, so it's a quick little tutorial. probably takes, you know, an hour to go through at most. Um, but it's got this uh, uh, app where, you know, they've got, a, a, the, you know, the rings like in the activity um, app on the iPhone. Uh, he's sort of taken that piece and, dis- and uh, using the analogy that you, perhaps that could be, re- that that circle uh, graphic could be used in another app. So taking the code that builds that and the assets that build that put into a framework um, and then re- so and replace the existing code in your app with a framework of your own design that you could then plug into other apps. And he shows how to, you know, extract the software that you want to put into uh, classes and and resources that you want to put into your framework, how to remove it from the actual app and then how to add it back in as a framework. And the last part of the tutorial, which I think is kind of cool if you're going down that way, is to uh put it into a CocoaPod. And, and then the very final piece, he shows you how to uh, uh, upload that CocoaPod to GitHub if you want to share it with other people to have them use your framework. So interesting little quick little uh, tutorial on uh, creating and distributing I- iOS frameworks. Yeah, that's that's great because, um, I mean, it's woefully
0: mistimed for me because I, I kind of had to, you know, juggle my way through something of these. Uh, Bumble my way might be a better way of putting it. Uh, through some of this. So it would definitely would have been nice to, to handle, um, to have somebody like step you through like, Oh, here's what you do. and Oh, here's why this is a problem. Here's how you go fix it. But I just sort of had to do a lot of, a lot of
3: research and a lot of looking around for disparate information. Yeah. So the, is great. the Apple documentation on this stuff is, is uh, a little bit lean, I would say.
0: Yeah. That's, and I would this point, this is
3: great. Yep. Right.
0: And, and I would point people down to the, um, one of the discussion items about fat frameworks, and, and this is oh, maybe this is a, a, an Xcode 8 thing that would I'd definitely love to have either the app store be more uh, forgiving about having fat frameworks be submitted as part of a, an app and just use you know app slicing type stuff to, to remove out the simulator you know, i386 um, architecture slice. Or give you something in Xcode that says, "Hey, like I want to output this as something that I can hand off to um, a third party." Yeah, not as an open source item because that kind of just bypasses the entire problem. But like, hey, I would really love to have this dynamic framework that I can distribute to other third parties that they can, you know, they can run in the simulator and they can run on device and they can have it be submittable to the App Store without having to do on both ends where you have to build for the different architectures. So build for like simulator and build for real architectures and then lipo that sucker together. And then on the flip side, when you want to submit to the app store, strip out all of the simulator architecture, that's just mm-hmm. unnecessary for developers to have to, to deal yep. with. And, and I've not tried the, example here that they showed but it, it gives me a lot of hints
3: when i inevitably have to go down that route that actually raises an interesting point having I mean, about about wwc so last year they, they spent a lot of time talking about app thinning and, and bit code and things mm-hmm. like that and and then it seems to me that everything kind of got quiet regarding that stuff for a while uh maybe there's just nothing nothing to talk about but but you didn't hear about a lot of people supporting this in their apps and a lot of third-party libraries supporting this uh, so so, I wonder what the next evolution of that is going to be. Are they going to talk about something along the lines of what you just said uh, to make it easier for us uh, at WWDC? That would be pretty interesting.
1: Yeah, I heard said uh, saw something on, online today, maybe a tweet, saying that uh, bitcode is sort of an opt out technology because uh, many people I've talked to are just you know uh, adding the opt out um, in their uh, IP uh, info P list file to. Uh, to avoid mm-hmm. that because it's a requirement now, right? To use it.
0: I'm confused right. by the statement. So if, if, <laughs> if it's an opt-outable thing, then it's not a requirement. It's not a requirement. Well, right. you know, yeah, right? yeah. But, but but I think the, the, the point that I would take from it is that it, it feels like the sort of thing that will become a requirement to the future. Yeah. Sure. What I, what yeah.
1: I meant by that is if you go, if you go to, if you don't go and uncheck it and you submit your app to the app store, either the verification or the submission itself will, will reject it because it look for, instances of bit code if you haven't used it and it'll and you'll get a rejection so that's why
0: sure it's a, it's, a, it's a soft one where they've, they've signed you up for the marketing newsletters yeah. as well right yeah. you gotta right. make sure yeah. you uncheck that sucker
1: yeah okay. yeah exactly yeah
0: and, and i actually kind of wonder what will happen with this because i baseless speculation here um but i can't be the in fact i know i'm not the only one who noticed that somewhere around ios 9 I don't know if it's related to app store changes. I don't know if it's the operating system. I don't know if it's bit code. So one of these three elements made it so that I don't have a hundred percent confidence that my apps will install without me having to take other measures. Um, Like I know Mark Pavlidis uh, tweeted out the the trick that I use where, oh, it didn't install. Well, let me just tap 10 times on the tab bar in the app store to reset that cache and then just download it again. And oh, look, it magically worked. Like that's that I've never I never had to to do that before and yeah. I, I didn't know how to do that so I I think something in that whole chain made something unreliable uh, and I would look right at bitcode to think oh it it's some slicing thing that that got messed up hmm. All right was that it I think we're good sure other other than the the one yeah. question I have well, last <laughs> question last question uh, related to to your your pick the osmo thing does it support subroutines. Like, I don't see, like, an obvious uh, list of all the, the things you get in the box, right? Like, there's, like, jump, there's, you know, grab, and all these yeah, other there's, things. Yeah, there's,
1: Just, there's a, a looping and all that kind of stuff as well, yeah. I don't think okay. so. Because what I've noticed in, in the... If you watch the video, the, the little girl, she sets up a, 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 a run, and she plays it out, and then she changes the program for the next part of the game, right? Um, so, yeah, I'm not sure. But there are like you know there are jump car- jump pieces and there are run pieces and there are loop pieces and there's a ways to uh have it stop and wait for you for input, that kind of stuff. So it's very basic. It's not your not your your parents Python. Right. Okay, thanks. Okay.
3: All right, folks, so I love that epic graphics though.
1: Yeah. So that's it for the week, guys. Uh have fun at WWC
2: and um so, Aaron, if people want to find you on the interwebs, where would they look? Go to Twitter, at Aaron And I'll spell it this time because we had someone mm-hmm. not able to find me. A-A-R-O-N-V-E-G-H. There you go.
1: All right. And uh, Jaime, uh, where would people find you on the interwebs?
3: Also on Twitter as at devwithahair. Hair. righty. And Mark? You can email me at markr at smapsoft.com. Yeah. And may- maybe there's a magic twitter account out there somewhere too
1: <laughs> you mean you can't remember what it was or no comment okay. <laughs> i'm going with i'm going with batman and Ruben. all right so <laughs> all right so that's it for the week and we'll say goodbye bye bye bye, bye. all and soon If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There, you can find the summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the items we talked about on the show, as well as links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website, and if you can, please write a review on iTunes. If you're listening on Overcast, go ahead and press that recommend button. It really helps others find out about the show. You can also follow us on Twitter. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at mtjc underscore podcast. And if you'd like to support us, you can pledge any amount on patreon.com slash mtjc. Thanks again for listening.
0: Hey, Tim, I I didn't have uh, time in the show because we were running long, but um, that Osmo thing reminds me of Cargobot, which I I put in in Skype. Mm. Um, It's an app for, well, it's a very old app. It hasn't been updated since 2012, but it uses a a very similar kind of programming metaphor and it it does support subroutines, you know, only a handful of them. Oh, right, but it kind of yeah. gives you the challenges like move this box from here to there or solve the towers of Hanoi kind of problem mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I I thought was was kind of nifty. It, it's definitely not as cool and polished as the Osmo thing, and there's no physical aspect to it. But it's just Something else that you might want to give a try. Yeah, I, I kind of no, no warranty
1: because it's an old app. Yeah, I kind of I, I kind of wonder about that um, uh, Osmo thing in terms of learning. I guess it teaches you the basics of programming. I'm not sure. Yeah, because I think I think that, especially for me, like I'm a I'm more a visual tactile person when I learn. Um, so just you know reading something or sitting down in a computer and coding it doesn't quite sort of gel into my head. Whereas uh, sometimes a physical thing might work out better, you know. Because um, I mean, this is the basics of computer science, right? That they're talking about, right? The, the run loops and that kind of stuff, right? Or how many times to iterate through a particular uh, function or loop, if you will, right? Um, and I don't know if that really translates to, in people's minds into something that they would use later on in life. It's kind of like trying to learn play to play guitar without having guitar in your hand, right? Or learn 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 to play guitar by reading sheet music, you know?
0: Sure, but I think um, I would counter by saying I I would bet that it gets people. At a very young age, yeah, it's a good foundation. Thinking, yeah. yeah, but but thinking algorithmically, right? So it's not teaching them to code per se. It's not like, oh, well, look, they can't like you know dereference this optional and blah blah blah. It's like, well, that's it's kind of not the point. It's thinking about like, well, what steps would I have to do? How can I break down this problem to, in order to like solve you know whatever it is that's at at, at hand?
1: And uh-huh. Uh-huh. I think
0: that that's like the more interesting and useful bit. And I would say it's it's not that much different than like, you know, we don't teach two-year-olds, three-year-olds, four-year-olds like, oh, they want to be a musician. Well, they got to learn music theory yeah, first. Right, it's like no, right. you, they just start humming and singing. Giving a toy right? piano they, or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's not like oh, well, look, they didn't learn the nitty-gritties of you know pointer math. Yeah, it's like yeah. well, that's not really that important. But, but it's it's the, the the foundational piece that you build off of.
3: Mm-hmm. That's way to learn theory is write an app about it.
1: Yeah, says the mm-hmm. says the guy who wrote an app about it.
3: Yeah, I mean it's it's true. Yeah,
1: yeah,
3: yeah. I learned I learned a ton doing that, and it sort of it. Eventually, it all kind of made sense after a while. Yeah, it was. I'm talking about uh, just in case you're recording because you probably are. I am I mean, Oh yeah, yeah, I never I never so. really hit stop
0: on mine. So. <laughs> what's that? I I forgot to hit stop online. Oh,
1: that's okay. Thank yeah. you.
3: <laughs> so in the scales and modes app, uh, one of the reasons I wrote that was because I knew there were all these musical modes that just had these crazy Greek names and yeah, just all, yeah. this, all these combinations of notes that, you know, looked like scales, but yet, you know, they were something, something else, right? Something different, not just a plain old scale. Uh, and it turns out there's, there's a logic to it and it all kind of makes sense. Oh, really? and, uh, huh. and, you know, I mean, it's a little bit detailed to go into, but essentially if you have a scale, say you have the major scale, there's a certain pattern of, uh, Steps, whole steps and half steps that that you follow to build the scale, right? Mm-hmm, right. And and so depending on on where in the scale a certain note is, uh, that tells whether it's like a an A or an A sharp or an A flat, depending on right. how many steps you need. Well, imagine taking that scale, that same scale, but instead of starting on the the first note of the scale, just start it on the second note of the scale,
1: mm-hmm.
3: and go all the way through, and then make the last one the first note. Oh, okay. okay, so so it's a different pattern of whole steps and half steps, but it's still a regular pattern.
1: That's true. Yeah.
3: So that is the second mode. The I think it's the uh, now I wish I remembered the names. I think it's the Lydian mode, mm-hmm. uh, and it just it has a it just has an, a, a Greek name because you know in the Middle Ages that they decided to call it right. the Lydian mode. Uh, but really, it really all it is is just a different pattern of of whole and half steps. That has a sort of characteristic sound,
1: mm-hmm.
3: and that's that's a mode. And so there's there's seven different modes of the major scale. There's seven modes of the minor scale. Seven modes of the of the harmonic minor. Seven modes of the, the melodic minor, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So download scales and modes, and you can learn all about it. <laughs> Link in the show notes.